Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may hear your word with joy. Amen. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, the second chapter. Listen to the word of God. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Our second reading today is Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Our epistle reading this morning comes from Romans 13, verses 1 through 14. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists, resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. 
So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, and not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And finally, our gospel reading comes from the gospel according to Matthew uh, chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is the word of God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Friends, it is finally Advent. After a long season of ordinary time, it is time to hang the greens, put up our trees, think about gifts, plan family gatherings. This is the time of year that we start to practice our family liturgies of Advent and Christmas, not just here within the church walls. Those traditions that play out year after year after year. And isn't it funny sometimes the ones that stick and the ones that don't? When I was a kid, we started our family Advent liturgy on Thanksgiving morning when we made paper chains with one link for every day from Thanksgiving until Christmas Eve. We would watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade on TV while we made these chains, and then we would hang them in our bedrooms, and every night we would take off one link to count down to Christmas. A few nights or a week later, we would blast the best Christmas album ever recorded, which is, for the record, John Denver and the Muppets, (laughs) while we put up the Christmas tree and we would decorate our entire house top to bottom. And every decoration had a special place that it went in every year. And then on Christmas Eve, we would go to church, we would sing Silent Night by Candlelight, and then go home and tear that last link off of the countdown chain. But as an adult with a family of my own, I've had to allow for some changes to my Advent liturgy. My children have made the paper chains a few times, but it never really stuck with them as an effective countdown. Instead, we have a traditional Advent wreath that sits on our table. And I made that poor 
ratty thing 20 years ago when my oldest was a baby. And even though I tried to buy a new one last year, the entire family, including our agnostic best friends who don't even celebrate Advent, revolted and demanded that the poor, shabby 20-year-old wreath covered in old wax be returned to the table. That thing is so sorry looking, but I can't get rid of it. Heaven save us if we do not light that wreath every night during Advent when we sit down to dinner. And while John Denver and the Muppets still blare in my house as the tree goes up, Um, The Christmas tree and a nativity my grandma made in a ceramics class 30 years ago are the only decorations that really go up in our house. I realized that my own family just sort of loses steam after the tree goes up, and every year I would just wind up finishing the rest of the decorations by myself, feeling frustrated and annoyed with them and a little bit salty about the whole thing. But then on Christmas Eve, we go to church, we sing Silent Night by Candlelight, and then we go home, and instead of tearing off a last link off of a chain, we light the Christ candle in our own tattered but beloved Advent wreath. And Advents today are just as holy as they were 35 years ago when I was a little kid learning my family of origins Advent liturgy. They're just different because I live with different people now. We all have a pretty clear picture in our mind of what the perfect Christmas or the perfect Advent preparations look like. We see something like a Norman Rockwell painting in our minds. And anything less is not quite Christmas for some reason. It's really hard to adjust to change in general, but especially when we apply it to something as dear to us as Advent and Christmas preparation. We hear the old classics on the radio and we think, now it's starting to feel like that time of year. And perhaps the good old Norman Rockwell painting sort of family gathering holds our hearts because it speaks to that peace in each of us that yearns for the peace and the hominess that we see in Isaiah's description of setting down weapons, turning them instead into instruments of peace and community. It plucks the strings of hope in our hearts that Advent is meant to grab. When we think of peace and welcome, we are often led to think back to simpler times when we were young. We tap into our nostalgia. Perhaps it's partly because it seems more realistic to manage the picture-perfect Christmas than it does to imagine God actually doing anything powerful in the world. It's too good to be true. Isaiah's words are a little bit ridiculous when you think about it. Everybody getting along? All people streaming to God's house to worship? Many of us are just hoping we can get through another Christmas season without a major fight breaking out over the dinner table or getting stuck in the snow on the way to a family gathering. When we think about our hopes for Christmas, most of us are just hoping that it'll be a pretty nice day. We know what the meaning of the holiday is. We know what we're remembering But our anticipation for God's Christmas work is rarely more than our anticipation for one nice day on the 25th. 
We want the liturgy of Christmas, the things that are supposed to happen every year, to go according to plan, and then things will be good enough. But little kids get excited about Christmas like nobody else is able to. Getting them to bed after church on Christmas Eve is nearly impossible. They're just so excited about new gifts, but also about seeing family and having treats and goodies and large, fun meals. They are more than just hopeful in some sort of, um, some sort of cognitive way. They are expectantly waiting. The hope that children have this time of year goes beyond just wondering if they'll get a gift or knowing academically that they'll get a gift. They can feel it so much in their being that they can't even sleep. In Matthew, Jesus says that we are to keep watch. We are to stay awake, just like little children awaiting Christmas morning. We don't know when our hopes for peace and fullness of God's kingdom will be fulfilled, but we are to live out every single day as though it is Christmas Eve and we're a little kid too wound up to go to sleep. So how do we recapture that feeling? How do we gather so much energy and excitement that Jesus could come back at any moment? That the ministry and worship we do here is taking part in the kingdom of God. We start by simply doing. By praying, by listening, by reading scripture. All those practices we talk about throughout the year in church. We dive deeply into relationship with God. And at the same time, we begin to practice the things we know that scripture says are part of God's kingdom. Psalm 122 tells us we pray for peace, not just our own peace, but peace for all. Isaiah tells us that we are to turn weapons of war, literal and figurative, into symbols of peace so that we might seek justice for all people and carry out the word of the Lord to everyone. Romans tells us to clothe ourselves in the light of Christ and in all that we do remember who we truly represent. And as Jesus tells us in Matthew, we do these things tirelessly because we never know how long we will have on this earth to participate in God's kingdom and to spread the light until we are called home either individually or at the very last call. The perfect Christmas may seem hard to pull off some years, but the perfect Christmas is so much easier than living the Christian life the way we are called. We just have to bake the right desserts, hang the lights right, and buy the right gifts, but peace on earth, everyone living in God's love, joy for all people, that can sometimes feel like a bit too much to hope for. So we worry about that easier one, the secular chestnuts roasting on an open fire part of Christmas, and let the candles on our Advent wreath simply signal the waning away of our Christmas shopping season, a quaint old tradition and little more. It's just easier that way. Seeking peace, allowing ourselves to not fit in or to resist that Advent and Christmas mean so much more than how people greet you during the season or what's cooking in our ovens, that's a pretty tall order. When there have been decades of tradition telling us that the words of Scripture are nothing more than a nod to the temporary harmony we're meant to feel on Christmas Day. 
Isaiah says that God's word will go out to all people. But God's word is not just words. He's not just talking about going out and talking to people. There's a deep connection between God's word and action. In Hebrew, the word for word, devar, can mean word, deed, thing, event, action. And the Greek word used in the Bible for word is logos, which can also mean cause or consideration. Action and words are intimately tied together in the language of scripture. Hope without action is not hope. It's not the word, it's just words. If you're going to talk the talk, you'd better walk the walk. If our words are to mean anything, they have to be backed up with action. We cannot just sing about peace on earth without really working toward it. We cannot simply light a candle to represent hope without living in anticipation of Jesus' work in the world. We don't get to stay and sing one thing here in these walls and stand for something different outside of them. And conversely, if we are to live in a truly Christ-like way, our actions cannot be empty or just because that's what we think we're supposed to do. They have to stand for something. They have to have words and purpose and thought behind them. They can't just be the same old things we've done year after year because that's what we do. I tried for years to get my dear spouse and children into the paper chains and the all-out decorating year after year, but it just caused frustration because I was the only one who seemed to care about those things that had been special to me growing up. They were just empty actions for the rest of my family. They were only doing them out of a sense of obligation to me. And so I had to embrace new family traditions and liturgies in order for us together to be able to fully embrace the hope and expectation of Advent as a family. Here is where our true hope lies during Advent. As we expectantly and actively await the coming of Jesus Christ, our hope lies in the knowledge that God's word is more than just words. God's word is God's action and creation in our lives. God's word is set into motion just by its existence, whether we choose to participate or not. Which means that we are entirely capable of being a part of it because it doesn't rely on us. Surely sounds harder, but we can do it in the confidence that we are all equipped to be a vital part of God's lively and abundant kingdom right here and right now. We are called and equipped to be people who carry that active, living, creating, and world-changing word out into the world. We are capable of being involved in it. We carry it out not just through the words of heartwarming Christmas carols. We carry it out not just by decorating our houses or buying the right gifts, but by welcoming the unwelcome, by loving the unlovable, by naming the nameless, by recognizing that all are made in the image of God and called to God's mountain to worship and celebrate. Our challenge as a community during Advent is not to worry so much about if the decorations are perfect, but to make sure we are expectantly and hopefully living out Isaiah's and Paul's and most importantly Jesus' urging to live as living words and light in the world around us. So the next few weeks, as you begin to decorate your house, buy or make gifts, 
plan menus, arrange travel, whatever your personal or family Advent liturgy is, remember, that is all just part of living out this bigger hope. Let it be a reminder and a reflection of the hope we have in the Savior we await. But beyond that, I challenge you to invite someone into it. Make your words actions. Invite them to an Advent service or Christmas Eve service or the longest night service. And not just a family member who happens to be in town. That one's too easy. Invite a coworker you don't like very much. Invite your mail carrier or the girl who makes your coffee. Invite a total stranger. Invite them into the house of the Lord like their lives depend on it and like every one of them matter deeply to God. Because for the record, their lives do depend on it and they do matter deeply to God. And when we're truly excited about something life-changing, that's what we do. We want everyone to know about it. Amen.